0: This is Bill
1: Newman, WHMP. And this is our segment, Crime and Punishment, with Attorney John Pucci. John is a partner in the law firm of Oakley Richardson, and he was a former U.S. attorney, longtime U.S. attorney and head of the U.S. attorney's office in Springfield, which covers all of, has jurisdiction over all of Western Massachusetts. John Pucci, welcome back to the show. I... Would like to start with this question. We want to follow up today with Donald Trump's legal travails. Uh, is Mar a Lago his most pressing problem at this point, or is he really more concerned about what's happening with the grand jury investigation in Georgia, uh, or perhaps even what's happening in New York?
2: Well, I think that um, the January 6th federal grand jury investigation of the January 6th insurrection is such a large, complex case that's going to take some time to play out. It's really a behemoth. I think that um, the the charges that are coming down the pike against him in Georgia, it's it's a little bit unforeseeable, of course, because it's grand jury and you can't see exactly what they're doing. But they seem contained. Uh, and those could come forward before the year is out. But I think the Mar-a-Lago case is, is so narrow in scope and so contained compared to the January 6th uh, federal case f- related to the uh, uh, um, sedition charge against him and obstruction charge against him, and, and, and that it could get put together and brought forward relatively quickly. It's gummed up, if you can apply that non legal word, in the court in Florida with Judge Cannon, who has main, managed to tie the process up in knots. But I think there's a a space that is foreseeable in which the Fifth Circuit will come in, which is her court of appeals, which reviews her rulings and could determine that she does not have jurisdiction and remove the case from her.
1: Okay, so let's stop there for a second. There's Judge Cannon. Uh, She's Aileen Cannon. She's the judge who was appointed by Trump in the last days of his administration It appears so that he'll have a friendly in his pocket federal judge uh, nearby, which is the court. And she's the only judge, as you told us, in that court. And therefore, when he filed the papers uh, seeking relief from the uh, results of the search of Mar-a-Lago, he got his judge, which is what he wanted. Uh, A lot has happened since then. Bring us up to date.
2: Okay, so uh, he filed, just to to recap a little bit, he filed, uh, so the search warrant was issued, uh, the search took place on August 8th. That's when the federal agents went into Mar-a-Lago with a fully authorized legal search warrant from a judge, uh, a magistrate judge, which authorized the search, fully authorized. We'll come back to how important that is. Um, And then, uh, Trump filed after they seized eleven, roughly what is called eleven thousand documents and more thousands of pages of documents. Uh, the FBI, it was discovered that among the documents were classified documents uh, from the FBI, the CIA, and the National Security Administration, the NSA, uh, all of which implicated violations of the Espionage Act, a federal crime. An obstruction of a grand federal grand jury investigation, that investigation being uh, an investigation that had kicked off with regards to the failed attempts of the uh, to recover uh, presidential records from Trump. So that search took place. Uh, the magistrate judge in uh, West Palm Beach. Uh, used his discretion to unseal a redacted version of the search warrant affidavit with the facts justifying the search. Trump then filed his own case, and he filed in this case a claim that the documents seized were subject to attorney-client privilege and executive privilege, and he filed that case in Fort Pierce. Fort Pierce is fifty miles north of Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the case, as I read the local rules in Florida, should have been filed in. Uh, uh, West Palm Beach, where there's a federal court, Uh, but instead it was filed in Fort Pierce, where lo and behold uh, a Trump appointed judge, Aileen Cannon, took jurisdiction. She was the only judge in that courthouse in Fort Pierce. He knew it would get to her. He had put her into that position and lo and behold, she has issued a series of rulings, uh, unusual rulings in an unusual setting that very much favor Donald Trump um she has insisted uh trump asked for a special master to examine the documents to determine if they were privileged either attorney client or executive privilege um interestingly enough trump suggested judge deary who was a, a senior judge out of the eastern district of uh brook uh new york in brooklyn and judge deary jumped in with both feet and judge deary um issued several orders Uh, quickly. And one of them was a very short timeline for the parties to submit their claims and for Trump to submit his claims of executive privilege and attorney-client privilege. Get in. They can examine the documents. Trump's team can examine them and then identify what they claim a privilege. Very short timeline.
1: And- Didn't Jerry, let me interrupt you. uh, Didn't Jerry also issue an order that said, uh, you've said, Mr. Trump, that uh, you declassify these documents if you're going to make that claim, make it in this court and tell me when and how you declassify them. Didn't Deary make that order as well?
2: Yes. And and part of that order as well was, was uh, Mr. Trump, you you have claimed that the FBI planted documents that it then seized, I guess, from itself, having planted them. Uh, and we, I, Judge Deary, insist that you give me a factual basis for that allegation. So that was Deary's first uh, a triumphant order, three-leveled three order. Cannon made quick, uh, quickly uh, reversed him. They revert. she reversed him. She ordered uh, that he had no jurisdiction, the judge had no right to, to require evidence on the planting issue. The judge flipped the dairy timeline, making it much longer to con- for, for Trump to, to cooperate and, and, and participate in the review process. And so there's a bit of a war going on now, a judicial war um, uh, between Deary and Cannon over how this is going to proceed. Now, in the meantime, in the meantime, back when the case was originally filed in front of Judge, uh, which went to Judge Cannon, uh, DOJ filed a opposition to the court's jurisdiction over, Cannon's jurisdiction over any element of the case. And that appeal has gone forward. It's gone forward and it still is going forward, and on Thursday of last week, DOJ jumped in and said, ask the Fifth Circuit, which is the Court of Appeals for, Deary, for, for Cannon's ruling, saying, um, this ex- we're going to expedite, the. We, d- we DOJ need a super expedited um, uh, timeline for the review by, uh, by Deary. And by the way, we think that Judge Cannon has no jurisdiction whatsoever over this case. And I think we could end up quickly in a ruling by the Fifth Circuit. She has no jurisdiction, vacating all her orders, vacating the denying the original case by Trump. And it now and it sits in a more traditional mode in which none of those kinds of issues can be raised until such time as the defendant, the target of the search, Trump, is indicted. And after that, he can try to vindicate his rights. That could happen.
1: John, is the Department of Justice, the DOJ, saying... That Eileen Cannon, Judge Cannon, the Trump judge, uh, has no jurisdiction because Trump filed it in the wrong court, or he, they're saying that no court would have jurisdiction to do the kinds of things and takes the kinds of action and be protective of him uh, in the way that Trump is asking Judge Cannon to protect him.
2: The latter, and the and the point here is that one a search is a search is conducted by law enforcement. The only theory on which a party, the party search, can intervene and seize and, and seek to attack that search warrant comes after after an indictment in the case in a motion to suppress the evidence that arose from this, was the product of the search warrant. The only exception, and this is Fifth Circuit law, is that if a, if a party that has been searched can show a, quote, callous disregard for the constitutional rights of the party searched, then a court can intervene before an indictment issues. In this case, there was a search warrant, so the search was authorized by law. In the Fifth Circuit, in another ruling in this very case, the Trump case, determined and ruled and noted that there was no finding of callous disregard of the constitutional rights of the taxpayer. Only on a finding like that can a court, a federal court, intervene in this kind of Uh, conflict in this kind of battle between the government, the FBI, DOJ, and a party that's been searched about the righteousness of a search. Uh, Only where there's evidence of a callous disregard of the constitutional rights of the taxpayer. There's been no finding of that. Cannon has not made that finding uh, as a basis to assert jurisdiction over this entire uh, drama.
1: And Trump hasn't pled it, which is to say he hasn't gone to court and said, there has been callous disregard of my rights. Uh, He's made other kind of, well, uh, somewhat incomprehensible claims, uh, saying this shouldn't happen. Okay. So all that having been said is the take home at this time that we are waiting for the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals to decide whether or not it is going to overrule or – or I guess alternatively, endorse what Judge Cannon has done, since Judge Cannon now has assumed jurisdiction not only of the case itself, but she's made clear that the, her appointment of a special master is going to have no weight. because although she appointed someone who is viewed as a uh, highly respected federal judge, uh, clearly he, he's not making the rulings that she appointed him to make. So does this all now rest with the first fifth circuit court of appeals and we're kind of in limbo until that court rules
2: yes well limbo the government is free to examine the 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 documents that are marked classified for intelligence purposes but otherwise it can't use the documents in investigation yeah so the thing is entirely on hold until the fifth circuit rules now the fifth circuit in this case has already ruled once and flipped uh, Canon's rulings on two issues, and they did that really quickly, and they did that with the back of their hand. Uh, as hard as judges treat each other, they really treated some of her rulings in this case as particularly bogus. And so I think the predilection, and those, there were two of the three judges on that panel that flipped her uh, that were appointed by Trump. So I'm optimistic, if you can be optimistic in this world, that they're going to, do the righteous thing, and remove jurisdiction from uh, Judge Cannon. But no, I wouldn't put any money on it.
1: Well, one reason you wouldn't put money on it, I assume, is that circuit courts of appeals sit in panels of three. There are many members of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and if Trump gets two Trump judges on the panel of three, he could well win. And the panel could then say, ah, We're not going to interfere with the federal district court judge's exercise of her jurisdiction at this point and let it go on and let Cannon essentially function as a roadblock to an investigation of Trump. And that would relieve Trump of a lot of anxiety. It could be for a really long time. That's also possible, right? Or wrong?
2: It's possible. No, it's it's possible. It's possible. I'm, I'm betting that the Fifth Circuit comes in and removes the case from Cannon. But um, not a lot of money. I'm not betting a lot of money.
1: That. We are speaking with Attorney John Pucci. This is Crime and Punishment. We're going to talk about Donald Trump's other legal travails on the other side of these messages. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman,
3: WHMP.
4: Five
3: eight six one thousand. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586 1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you, until now. Now, when you call, we'll answer, and if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Wayland Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it, and if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Wayland Insurance, local people, local service, local insurance, in partnership with Arbella Insurance.
5: The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo, Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP
1: Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank, with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin Counties, greenfieldsavings.com. The
5: Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP
0: Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. But
3: I don't see wine here, Ringo. What do you got? Well, who am I? You're the spirit guy. Uh Uh-oh. So you're
6: taking
1: me down the road of spirit.
6: So our next whiskey is going back to traditions here. Uh, This is Port Escag, 8-year-old single malt scotch. So it's actual scotch. This is Scotland scotch, Mm. scotchy scotch scotch. This is an Isla single malt, peatier in style. This one does not suffer supply chain issues because you wouldn't be giving it to us if it did, right? Correct. It says Port Escag, which is a location, but it's an independent bottler that gives them their whiskey. Because there's so many different approaches on whiskey, I really try and hit everything with a very open mind as far as what can be good. This one got 95 points at the the Ultimate Spirits Challenge. I think this is very good. And how much is this single malt? This is $66.99, so it's kind of right in that low to mid-entry level price point.
3: Find your favorite Whiskey. whiskey and your next favorite whiskey at State Street.
7: Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton.
6: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: We continue our conversation on our crime and punishment segment with attorney John Pucci. We have been spoke, speaking about Donald Trump's legal travails and in particular what has come out of the uh, search of Mar-a-Lago and the recovery by the FBI of any number of classified documents, top secret documents, documents, not to mention thousands, eleven thousand documents that he wasn't supposed to. Other documents that he wasn't supposed to have at all, because they were part of the uh, cache of documents that were supposed to be turned back over to the government when he left office. So, as John told us, that's probably the most obvious, and it's cabin in as a uh, legal problem for Trump. You can wrap your mind around it. You could pro- progress with it, or that case could progress quickly. Except that. The judge who he picked to be his judge, Judge Eileen Cannon, has stopped that process, and we are awaiting the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision on whether or not Judge Cannon will be allowed to thwart the legal processes on behalf of uh, the person who appointed her to that job, Donald Trump. Uh, the investigation, the grand jury investigation, is January 6th and the January 6th Committee, uh, hearings uh, continue, they have not yet been completed, uh, and the Georgia investigation into the interference with Georgia election law, its grand jury proceeding, we don't know much really about the state of that uh, investigation in those grand jury proceedings, because they're grand jury proceedings and they're secret. So at the moment, Trump it goes to the back burner of our news cycles, of our news, until the Fifth Circuit rules on whether or not Judge Cannon is going to be allowed to stop the investigation. That an okay summary of what we've done in the first segment, John? Yes. Okay. I'd like to turn to something you mentioned, and that is the potential for Donald Trump to be uh, charged, indicted for seditious conspiracy. There is a seditious conspiracy trial that is beginning as we speak, the trial, the charges against uh, Stuart Rhodes, the uh, head of the oath keepers I'm wondering what you can tell us about that and what light it will shed on the judiciary's view of seditious conspiracy and because well, it is a conspiracy to commit sedition that is to overthrow the United States government john
2: well it's first of all sedition prosecutions are very very rare uh, there was one many years ago that actually happened in Springfield, Massachusetts, in which I know, Bill, I know you were a lawyer.
1: <laughs> I was just going to make disclosures, John, just disclosures in the interest of I good journalism. Could,
2: yes. Well, I just and, and I believe you secured an acquittal for your for your defendant who was accused of sedition. Is that is there anything else you want to say about yourself in this regard?
1: Uh, no, that's pretty good. Are you available to represent Donald <laughs> Trump if he needs a lawyer? Yeah, I wouldn't be available for that. Sorry. <laughs>
2: OK, well, every every charge defendant deserves a good defense bill. So I'm going to write a letter to Trump today suggesting you were the man.
1: You are a good because defense there bill.
2: A, there's nobody else that I can think of that has won an insurrection case in American history. <laughs> besides
1: you. OK, that's enough. There were there were, there were there were quite a number of uh, 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 defense counsel for the various defendants. But thank you. Well, John. there were
2: there were a lot of other lawyers who won that case, but you're the only one that you can remember.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, John, moving on here.
2: <laughs> so, so in any event, it's extremely rare. It's extremely rare. I think there's been one sedition case indicted in the last 10 years in America. Uh, this is the second one. The lead defendant in this case is named Stuart Rhodes. Uh, he's a leader, a creator uh, of, of a group called the Oath Keepers who were front and center in the January 6th insurrection. Stuart Rhodes, I might add, uh, is a is a pirate-like figure who wears a black eye patch over one eye. Uh, he's striking. He's very smart. He graduated from Yale Law School, nonetheless. Yale Law School, and he led this group, armed group, uh, to to the January sixth uh, uh, insurrection. Uh, and there's lots of records that reflect they are they they gathered weapons and all sorts of ammunition and armor, and they took them to the Capitol. Rhodes himself did not go to the Capitol and crash into the building, but many of the Oath Keepers did. They were leading, leading forces in in the insurrection. Uh, And they're on trial now in um, federal court in Washington. Um, They've picked a jury, and I believe they're gonna have jury uh, opening statements today. The sentence uh, for insurrection can be as much as 20 years in jail. It's a very serious case. There have been, of some note, there have been 919 people charged in the insurrection so far. Now, that's lost in the sauce of all of the controversy that Trump has trumped up in his own cases. But the Department of Justice has waded into the January insurrection prosecutions with both feet. 909 cases have been brought to date. More are expected. Of those cases that have come to a conclusion, 400 have been resulted in convictions. Uh, There's been one acquittal. So 399 convictions, one acquittal, over 400 cases brought since January 6th of this year. That is really quite extraordinary. And I I hope that that's not lost uh, in the public stew of issues that Trump has trumped up because the Department of Justice has really carried the ball cross the goal line repeatedly with regards to these prosecutions, and this Stuart Rhodes prosecution, the Oath Keepers, is the latest one and maybe the most significant one, and I think the only one in which sedition has been charged.
1: The effect on Trump, if there is a conviction, is what?
2: Well, it just sinks another. It it has several effects. I think there'll be very significant uh, periods of incarceration imposed. A, And B, that's going to send a signal out to people that support, would be inclined to support Trump with acts of violence, that the courts are going to grind through their cases, they're going to make them stick, they're committed to them, and you're going to go to jail for a significant period. Some of the jail sentences that have been imposed to date have been, you know, quite significant. There was a guy recently named Guy Reffitt, who's a, what shall I say, what's the legal term, a nut job, who got seven years in jail as a result of his conviction uh for participating in the in the insurrection there have been other sentences 63 months in jail 46 months in jail 41 months in jail so the judges have not gone light on these insurrectionists and the doj it's a little bit lost in the public sauce has really marched through these things systematically and effectively and i think it's it's likely that Stuart (coughs) rose is going to go down In flames and get a very serious uh, term of incarceration.
1: We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with John Pucci. This has been Crime and Punishment. Thank you so much, John, for being with us. We really appreciate your time and insights. My pleasure. This is Bill
6: Newman, WHMP.
0: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Pittsfield police are investigating after shots were fired on Springside Avenue during school dismissal yesterday afternoon. Officials say around 3.30 officers were called to Springside Avenue near the intersection of Parker Street for a shot spotter activation. And nearby residents reported they heard a shooting. When officers arrived, there were no reported injuries. On Springside Avenue, several buildings had been struck by gunfire and shell casings were recovered. Anyone with information is asked to call the police department. Congress has approved $1 billion in assistance towards the state's low income home energy assistance program. Both renters and homeowners are eligible. The criteria to receive assistance are based on the gross annual income of every household member 18 years and older. That income cannot be greater than 60% of the state's estimated median income, which was just over $84,000 in 2021. The Valley Opportunities Council is reminding people to apply now while appointments are available and before cold temperatures set in. A federal judge has dismissed a class action lawsuit filed last year by employees of the Holyoke Soldiers Home over working conditions during COVID-19. The information is according to court documents, according to Western Mass News. The lawsuit was filed by a veteran-certified nursing assistant at the home and other employees who worked through the pandemic. The outbreak at the home resulted in the death of more than 80 veterans.
6: Clouds today with showers and drizzle pretty much on and off all day. A high of 56 to 60. Rain and drizzle continues tonight. Overnight low, 42 to 48. Mostly cloudy. Scattered showers and drizzle tomorrow. A high of 60 to 64. Back into the 70s, brighter on Thursday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP.
0: This news minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
4: Yo soy Johan Rashi con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La Corte Suprema comenzó su nuevo mandato el lunes con una nueva jueza en el tribunal, el público de vuelta en la sala del tribunal y un animado debate en un caso que enfrenta las protecciones ambientales contra los derechos de propiedad. La jueza, Ketanji Brown Jackson, no perdió el tiempo en participar y hacer preguntas durante casi dos horas de argumentos en la disputa sobre la principal ley contra la contaminación del agua de la nación, la Ley de Agua Limpia. Jackson, la primera jueza negra de la Corte, parecía estar generalmente alineada con los otros jueces liberales de la Corte a favor de los argumentos del Departamento de Justicia para preservar la autoridad del gobierno federal para regular los humedales bajo la ley de agua limpia contra un desafío respaldado por empresas. Los argumentos de lunes fueron la primera vez que los jueces volvieron a escuchar casos desde que emitieron un fallo histórico que eliminó las protecciones constitucionales de las mujeres para el aborto y por primera vez en dos años y medio desde que el tribunal cerró en marzo de 2020, se permitió el ingreso del público a la sala del tribunal, aunque el tribunal continúa brindando audio en vivo de los argumentos en su sitio web. En otras informaciones, la candidata demócrata a vicegobernadora de Massachusetts, Kim Driscoll, visitó Springfield, Chicopee y Holyoke, enfocándose en las comunidades hispanas. Una de las paradas de Driscoll fue en el nuevo complejo de vivienda de South Holyoke Homes. Driscoll fue recibida por el alcalde de Holyoke, Joshua García, así como funcionarios del gobierno local de Holyoke. Durante la visita, los funcionarios hablaron de la importancia de brindar oportunidades a la comunidad de recursos limitados de poder ser propietarios de su vivienda. De igual forma, el alcalde García reiteró su apoyo a la campaña de Driscoll, señalando que alguien con su experiencia como alcaldesa tiene la capacidad para ejercer un cargo tan complejo como el de vicegobernadora, que requiere trabajar de cerca con alcaldes y administradores municipales. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP.
0: This news minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
4: This is Bill Newman,
6: WHMP.
0: We
1: welcome to the show Bill Allen Jr., who is the founder and executive director of the Racial Solidarity Project. He is also a doctoral candidate, a PhD candidate in Christian ethics at 4. Theological Seminary. Uh, Both of those institutions are located in Pasadena, and Phil Allen Jr. has written a new book, just published, titled The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier. Darnella Frazier, as you may recall, is the individual who took the video of George Floyd being murdered by Derek Chauvin in May 2020. Thank you so much for being with us, Phil Allen. We really appreciated the prophetic lens, the camera and black moral agency. What do you mean by the prophetic
8: lens? Having me, uh, first of all, um, I use the term prophetic. Um, I I borrow from theologian Walter Brueggemann, uh, where he defines the prophetic ministry as um the actions or the ministry that um, nurtures nourishes and evokes an alternative consciousness to the dominant consciousness and at the same time uh, that it it criticizes the dominant consciousness and it energizes an alternative community or, or a community towards an alternative consciousness so it's criticizing energizing and so when i looked at the camera both film, uh, TV news cameras, iPhones. Um, it has the potential to, and it has been used in the Black community um, in a prophetic way to nurture, to reveal truth, to reveal what's actually happening, um, but also to, to evoke an alternative consciousness. And when I saw what Darnella Frazier did, and then thinking back to images of Emmett Till uh, the images we see during the Civil Rights Movement, that they all did that, just that. They evoked an alternative consciousness to the dominant consciousness. And yet,
1: going back to Emmett Till, going back to the images of Bull Connor, going back to the images of what happened on the, 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 the bridge and, uh, and the dogs and the beatings and all of that, well, we've had images of black people being murdered, being tortured by white law enforcement uh, for a long time, and still mm-hmm. the dominant uh, political and uh, political culture, political power remains pretty much intact as a white supremacist culture and country. So on one hand, what you're saying is indisputable. It seems to me. Look at how these images affect us. On the other, they haven't affected us that much. In some sense, how do you how do you square that circle? Yeah,
8: that that's a uh, that's part of the tension that that I have writing this book. Um, and I tried to make clear that the camera doesn't always guarantee justice. Um, it doesn't always guarantee we'll get the outcome. And we we can look at Rodney King, for example. Um, the officers were clearly um, caught on camera, but they were not held accountable. Um, we we can look even back to images that we didn't take, but the, the lynched black bodies um, for decades, and it didn't change anything. Um, but there's something different that's happening now, and I think because of the, 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 I use the term democratization of the camera, um, where everyone now has access, to, they have this power in their hands to to record. I think because we're seeing it more often, um, it's hard to dispute. Um, but at the same time, you mentioned the term white supremacist uh, political power and, 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 and country. Um, there's always gonna be that backlash. Dr. King talks about the the last minute breathing power. Um, that's always gonna come up and, and, and be a counter resistance to um, to what we're trying to do in terms of move forward racially, um, that's going to be there, and, and we see it every day. Um, so it's the tension that we live in, that we understand that it's not going to guarantee justice, but it's almost like um, continue to, to throw the punches, and those are some of the punches that we can throw by revealing this is what's going on, this is what's going on, and bringing it to people's front door.
1: Well, that said, you still write about what you're thinking about when you're putting on your jogging, jogging clothes and what you're going to wear and what you're not going to wear. So sh- sh- it's a really, I-, I think, very powerful story you share. Why don't you sh- In the book, why don't you share it with our listeners, if you would, please?
8: Yeah. In, in the book, I talk about um, the fact that I have to be conscious and very intentional <laughs> about how I present myself when I go running, because when I run, I may find myself in at least part of my run in a white neighborhood as I'm running through, um, I may find myself running when it's just about dark at night. Um, and, and, and I know that I'm vulnerable, I'm susceptible to being uh, pulled over, to being um, having the police called on me. And the reason why that is, is because of my, my past. Um, I've lived in neighborhoods that are diverse and walked to the bus stop 20 some years ago and someone called the police on me just because—not that I was doing anything, just because they didn't—they didn't recognize me, and I had a knit hat and a hoodie on, 30-something degree weather, um, so naturally I would be wearing that stuff. And I was a personal trainer, so I had on athletic gear, but they called the police on me, and the police came, and the way he came was as if I was already guilty of something, and it was my neighborhood, and that happened to me on on two on a couple occasions. Um, so i'm I'm very mindful of that, not just my experience but other African American particularly men's experiences. I'm mindful of how I'm presenting myself and the fact that I have to think about that um sometimes can be frustrating um to have to go out. I can't just go for a run um if it's cold out, I gotta think about okay, I'm, I'm gonna wear this nitty, this knit hat, but this could be a night where i get <laughs> get pulled over and
1: following that, when bad things really might happen. We're speaking with Phil Allen Jr. His book is The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency, from MLK to Darnella Frazier. I'd like to know this. You talk about the democratization of uh, uh, the camera, of access, uh, of agency. Um, and I thought, incorrectly, years ago, that with everyone having cell phones and all of these images coming uh, to the to public consciousness that it would dramatically change the criminal justice system, uh, moral consciousness, and I, I was just wrong. So you talk about the prophetic lanes and the Cameron Black moral agency, but as an agent, the the camera has had less influence in some ways than I might have expected which is not to diminish in any way how important the camera is because without the images, there would be no convictions. There would be no civil lawsuits. There would be no justice or next to no justice. So, uh, t- tell us how you respond to that.
8: Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that made me want to write this or to solidify that I should write this and extend it into a book expanded is seeing the Derek Chauvin trial, um, the the cam- the video footage was the star witness. The camera was the star witness, and even watching the the afterwards, I think months afterwards, seeing the 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 jurors on an interview on CNN, they all talked about the video image, like that was what did it for them. Um, Arbery, if we don't have the video image, there there are no there are no arrests being made. They tried to cover that up. With that being said, when we talk about the fact that the camera hasn't been as effective um, as often as we would like, this is where you go back to um, what's embedded in the fabric of this country and what we don't really want to talk about, which is white supremacy. And I'm not talking about hate groups. I'm talking about an ideology that is so normalized and built in. What I mean by that is the, the normalization, the prizing, the prioritizing of white bodies, white uh, thought, white theology, what have you. Um, it's so embedded in the country that we see it coming out, we see it playing out in this type of uh, covenant, if you will. I didn't put this in the book, but since then I've been, been doing continue to do research in my my doctoral studies. There's a there's a there's a covenant, unknowingly, unwillingly for a lot of a lot of people that um, they subscribe to. And so it doesn't it it doesn't surprise me that the interpretation of what's going on on the video may be very different than how I might see it. Uh, It doesn't surprise me that it's reframed. Well, he was moving. He didn't comply because he wasn't completely still. He wasn't completely relaxed while he's being arrested. Things like that, you know, it just reminds me of we have we have a different battle that we have to fight, and it's not just a battle of um. It- it's a battle of ideology that's built into this country.
1: Well, you use, just use the word covenant, which is um, in in large measure a religious term, I think, and you are a uh, doctoral candidate in Christian ethics at the Fuller Theological Seminary. I'd like to know from you how you reconcile, or maybe that's the wrong word, but how you at least evaluate um, Christian whiteness and the dominance of Christian culture, which is so often uh, antithetical to the interests of uh, African Americans. So I think it's probably a good place to have another conversation another day, but I would appreciate your thoughts on that.
8: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think um, I don't try to reconcile, I, I, I critique, I criticize it, um, I call it for what it is. One thing we don't do in this country and in, in the church, the American church, is acknowledge the roots, the white supremacist roots of Christianity. And that's the version of Christianity that we're, we're battling against. Um, at the same time, it was also this faith.
1: Notwithstanding, that, we should note that uh, one, one very historical figure, Jesus Christ, was probably not white, uh, given exactly. where he came from and when he lived.
8: It's, it start, we could start there with, with, the, with the, the symbolism of, of, of that presentation of Jesus, for sure. But we also look at, it was the faith that black folks, the enslaved, co-opted that same faith seeing in the, in the scriptural narrative, biblical narrative, that this is also a God of liberation. This is also a, a powerful God, and, and the way that God this God is being presented to them is not, they, they were resisting that. So while there is this white supremacist, this Euro-Christianization of America, this white supremacist version of Christianity, there's also a liberation version, a liberative version of Christianity that black folks have, have held on to that actually have played a part in our resilience um, over the course of decades.
1: We're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Phil Allen Jr. His new book is The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier. Really interesting read available at your local independent bookstore. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope you'll come on. All right, we have another segment called The Reverend and the Rabbi and we'd love to have you on that one of these weeks. So thank you Absolutely. for your book and thank you
8: for your time. Thank you for having me.
6: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
7: This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now.
6: Buy a mattress online. There are at least a hundred websites that'll ship you a mattress rolled up like a burrito and stuffed in a box. Wait a minute. You and your mattress will spend seven or eight intimate hours together every night for years. Don't you need more than pixels to know what it actually feels like? Maybe you could just lay on the screen and... Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon, not tempur not trying to mislead you. Come to Talon Furniture and lay down on a therapeutic. I'll leave you alone. You can see how you are together. Therapeutic mattresses are clean, No toxic off-gassing. I've been to the factory in Brockton. Yes, they're made by fellow Red Sox fans. You like eating local? Try sleeping local. Talon delivers and sets it up. We don't just drop a big burrito on your doorstep. You won't have to wrestle it through the kitchen or up the stairs. Talon Furniture, a real store, just down the hill from Amherst College.
7: Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition, are they? I'm Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Pug Your Money financial coaching coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely. We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a hug coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit hugyourmoney.com. 586-1000,
3: good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you, until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it, and if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: We are joined in the studio by George uh, Kohout and Elena Hussman. Hussman, did I pronounce that correctly? Yep, Hussman. Great. Who are members of the uh, Safe Street Citizens Group, members of a group that is having an event this afternoon in conjunction with the mayor of the city. So let's start with you, George. What are you doing this afternoon? What's your group doing, and why are you doing it? Well, okay. Um, Thanks for having us on the show, Bill.
9: We've invited the mayor and uh, city councilors and a few other department heads from the city to ride around downtown Northampton and some of the neighborhoods, um, basically just to give them the experience of being a bicyclist in the city of Northampton here. We want to point out some of the very good things that we have in terms of bicycle infrastructure, pedestrian infrastructure, and also some of the places for improvement. So we just hope to have a friendly ride and uh, let the GL experience what us bicyclists experience during the day. Uh,
1: GL, the mayor, Gina share is she coming? She is, she is coming.
9: She's riding with us, as are some city counselors um, and some other folks
1: from the planning department and the department of public Works. Okay. So that was a very diplomatic way you phrased uh, what you were going to point out to them. Some of the would what, you say that something of something about the complimentary about the infrastructure, and then those a- aspects of the infrastructure that could use uh, some improvements? But you said it much more gently <laughs> than that. But I'm wondering after you point these out, these uh, deficiencies out to the. Uh, uh, all right, let me just back up. I, I'm I, I actually have to get to the serious part of it. Um, wh- what do you hope to accomplish?
9: Can I can I sure. pass the baton over to uh, my partner, Elena? Yeah.
10: Yeah. So I mean, we're hoping. To exemplify, you know, the world-class bicycle infrastructure that we do have in Northampton. Do we? We do. We have the trail system, um, which is extensive. You can get to different municipalities across the region. Um, One day it's going to be connected to Boston, which will be great. Um, but there are pain points in the city. Just in
1: case that west-east rail thing doesn't work, we can ride our bikes. (laughs) Just in case,
10: exactly. West-east rail trail. (laughs) Um, So we have that, but then connecting the rail trail to key pieces of infrastructure in the city, so hospitals, schools, um, shopping districts, uh, people's places of employment, we're missing a lot of those, and so while the trail can get you maybe 70%, maybe 80%, 90% in some cases, it's that 10 to 30% that we really want to make sure people have a safe route to get to wherever they're going.
1: And when you talk about safe routes, does that include the sides of major streets and that have those bike-designated lanes? Is that part of what you're talking about?
10: Yeah, we, bike lanes is one piece of infrastructure that we're advocating for. I think um, that's maybe lower on the 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 list of desirable pieces of infrastructure. Um, In a perfect world, we would have separated bike lanes, so either bollards or curbs separated. Sometimes in cities, you'll see parking separated bike lanes. Um, So that really gives bicyclists a buffer and feel a little bit safer being able to ride. And that safety is a major component um, that allows people of all ages and abilities to feel comfortable riding on various streets.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. There are the travel lanes for cars, mm-hmm. then there's parking that separates the cars and the bicycle lane is off to the right. Yes. Right, to the sidewalk side or to the whatever whatever is on the right. So that there's safe there's real safety for it. Right. Right. is that still a problem? Let me go back to you, George, if I might. Is that still a concern for uh people who bicycle in the city that uh, we hear a lot about how it's safe and we, and we have the bike people on and they assure me that it's safe and I I ride on the streets but I tend to try to ride on the trail because it feels safer
9: right Bill and and I think that's a really good point I think there's any there's a large percentage of people who would ride more if they felt safer riding on the streets that's for sure especially families with their young children we see families and their young children out on the trails but not too much on the city Um, and right and we had that tragic accident up by the high school about a year ago with Charlie Brown which was terrible Um, There's no doubt that uh, our driving habits, we're becoming more and more distracted as we drive in cars. So we need to really do double duty in terms of um, trying to protect cyclists and pedestrians. Um, The more we can get people to ride bikes too, I think there's a really unconscious educational factor. If I'm driving a car, I'm more aware of what a bicyclist and a pedestrian are doing if I'm actually one of those during my uh my my work a life
1: how long uh, could it link it back to elena on this safe street the safe streets citizens group how long have you been together how long have you been functioning as an advocacy group in the city
10: um uh, maybe 6 months to a year we're relatively new um and we are we're focused on education and advocacy um and outreach to folks. Um, so we've done a few activities this fall. Um, the mayor's bike ride, which will be today, is one of them. Um, we also conducted bike counts um, throughout the city last month, um, and then we're is that co- like a
1: bike census.
10: Yeah, exactly, a bike census. And so we have how do we do. <laughs> 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 We're still tabulating the results um, but we had more than 20 volunteers posted at various mm. intersections around the city um, during morning commute times and we counted cyclists as they went by um, just to get a baseline data point to see our cyclists are they increasing or decreasing over the years as we continue to build out our infrastructure
1: and do we have an answer to that?
10: Well, this was the first year we've done it, so, so this, we is don't our, know. this is our benchmark, so check in next year. Okay. Yeah. What
1: <laughs> I'd love to add, Bill, is
9: I think we're seeing more and more um, uh, electric bikes around the city and on the trails, and I think part of that is the price is coming down on those. People are becoming aware of them. Um, that's going to have a big impact on moving people out of cars, which, of course, is a positive mitigation around our climate change. So part of Safe Streets Northampton, too, is trying to,
1: as much as we can- um, help the city reach their carbon goals. So, Okay, one last quick question, because we just have about 30 seconds left. Will the new Main Street design advance the use of bikes? Because all of the designs have bike bike lanes through the center of the city.
10: Short answer is yes. Long answer is we really need to think about the network and how we get people to Main Street safely so that they can use those protected bike lanes.
1: And when you say network, what does that mean?
10: More bike lanes to bring people into Main Street, not just the trail system.
1: Because that doesn't exist at this point. Correct. Is that on the planning board? That's a yes or no?
9: That's somewhat on the planning board for sure as we look at the development around the city and uh, as we look at the growth of the
1: city. Yeah, Yeah, that was uh, the, the boards that people dry, drive draw on, <laughs> not the planning board itself that we were talking about. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Oh, the event today starts where and winter? At City Hall 430. City Hall, 4.30, 430. and, and you're going to take a nice leisurely bike ride. Exactly.
9: Around the city. With your elected officials. With our elected officials. You know, 30 of us having a good time. It's really a bike party. Um, come and join us. We have bikes.
1: Thank you. Okay. Both. So very All much, right. George and Elena. Thank you. I want,
3: I want to ride it where I like. You say black. I say white. You
8: say bar. I say bite, you say sharp. I say him and John.
5: When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it.
7: For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens.
5: 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP.
3: What if there were a way to go into cancer surgery or treatment feeling more comfortable and optimistic? Recorded meditations can help. Doctors have said that it makes their job simpler. Nurses tell us their patients may go home sooner and need less pain medication. Cancer Connection creates custom meditations for people affected by cancer, and you don't even have to come in. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of Live and local news charge.
5: and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A- Northampton Radio Group Station.